Welcome back to our Weird History mini-sode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. This week, we are talking about... What, Melissa? What? What are we talking about? What? What is it? Well, it's your first Weird History back since you took a hiatus. And uh, I, I specifically brought this one out just for you. Ooh, I'm even more excited. You'll be really excited to hear about who I'm going to bring up at the end of it. You have to wait to the end. Hmm. You'll have fun with the rest of it. Okay. This is, this is something that you probably, I'm sure, have heard about. I know you've heard about it, especially given your dad's a doctor. Scrofula. We're talking about the king's evil and the king's touch today. Which is where at some point I might say the king's tut instead of touch. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a king known as Pharaoh Tutankhamun, who we shortened to King Tut. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, there you go. So before I start talking about monarchies, the king's touch, and everything that follows with that, uh, let's briefly talk about what scrofula actually is. And no, it's nothing to do about the scruff behind your cat or dog on their neck. Also, we're gonna it, it, very briefly talk about this, but uh, if you're a little squeamish, particularly involving bodily fluids and medical terms, uh, skip the next two minutes and you'll be fine. But uh, for, for Lauren, you're just gonna have to listen through this. Darn it. <laughs> so by de- definition, Scrofula is actually the precursor to the modern medical classification of tuberculosis, which is also specifically caused by the same bacteria that causes pulmonary tuberculosis. And it's actually categorized as an infection of the lymph nodes, which are in your throat, and it can also affect other parts of the body as well. Symptoms usually show up as swollen lymph node glands, swollen spots on the neck as well. Fascinatingly, this actually only shows up on one side of the neck. Thought that was certainly weird. And these swollen spots are inflammation due to the bacteria, but they're usually not painful. However, this is, this is the, the queasy portion. Um, these swollen spots on your neck may possibly fill up with fluids and may need to be drained. Loverly. Righto. And because of the infection, your body can also have affected sinuses and even mouth sores. And if the case is severe, there may even be open sores on both the neck and the face, also leading to scarring in some cases. And rare cases, it can also spread to your lungs. Additionally, you might also run a fever, have night sweats, possible weight loss, which is also why tuberculosis is typically called the wasting disease, which is probably due to the sores in your mouth not being able to eat, as well as a period of like serious fatigue. Now, today there are treatments for scrofula, but there are still areas in the world that have a higher than average outbreak. And those are also usually in places that have a higher than average TB outbreak as well. Typically, if you contract it, it is treated with antibiotics because it's a bacterial infection, but this is a very long-term treatment lasting between six and nine months. That's almost a year of your life. For a bacterial infection. Yeah. That's a long time. 
And that's today's Ouch. science. Ouch. That's mm, unpleasant. Un that, that's pleasant. today with antibiotics. Yeah, 21st century medicine. Mm -hmm. So in the Middle Ages, as through much of human history, <laughs> TB and scrofula were very common, contagious, and untreatable using their medical standards by today's view. Yes, let's just leech the blood out of you, though. Oh, That's my gosh. Treat it. We've talked about this. It's actually so much fun sometimes to go back and read quacky medical cures throughout history. <laughs> They're hysterical because we look at it today and we're going, dear Lord, was there anyone using their brain? We have quackery stuff today even. And by the way, I've got a whole like three books on the subject and I will be bringing some of those up in other weird histories. So you bet you I am. Oh, goody. Oh, you bet I am. But sometimes the, the, some, sometimes the things make sense and sometimes you go, what, how, huh? Uh, okay. So because it mainly attacks your lymph nodes, not the lungs, scrofula can actually go into remission, unlike TB, which generally tends to kill you. And depending on the quote cure back then, it would seem to somebody at that time that what they tried actually worked, at, at least until it relapsed and came back. So because the disease was thought to be an imbalance of the humors, which was something at the time that had been believed for hundreds of years, so you usually have wet and dry, cold and hot humors. Those are the four humors of the, uh, of the body. And if they're in an imbalance, you usually treat it with the opposite. So some of the cures for the day for this were purging potions, probably emetics and various also diuretics. So just taking all the bodily fluids out of your body and hopefully you don't die of dehydration. Surgery, however, was never advised for these open sores and spots on your neck because it would certainly cause hemorrhaging at least back then they understood that part and many of the physicians throughout the middle ages believe this was caused by moist and cold humors and believe that something hot and dry should be used in order to balance out your humors so one famous physician william close who was actually a doctor during elizabeth the reign wrote a book on various scrofula treatments titled a right fruitful and approved treatise for the artificial cure of that malady called in Latin struma. And it was published in 1602. So it's a mouthful. These tags, these old tags have a mouthful for a title. Yup. I'm smart. Listen to the title of my book. So according to close. <laughs> Sorry. Really? I'm not laughing at the fact of whether you're right or wrong and just laughing at the fact you actually said it <laughs> and how accurate it sounds. You're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> you're an educated person. You can write whatever you want. If you want to put, I mean, some of these titles for some of these old books were practically a paragraph in of itself. And I, I, I by that point, I've lost track of what, what the book actually is about. And I'm just reading the title. Anywho, continue with the story. So according to Close, the swelling of the neck was due to an increase in phlegm. And because surgery was not on the table, pun, 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 puns, purgatives 
were administered. Also a light diet, bleeding of the arms, because it's the middle ages and the Renaissance leeches were everything, but you can't bleed the neck because you'll cause hemorrhages. So we're gonna bleed you out your arms. Use of caustic agents to blister the skin because they thought if you draw heat and fire onto the skin, it will draw the infection up out of your arm. I don't know how that came about either, but oh, this stuff, oh, this stuff. Again, let's leach your body of blood when it needs it the freaking most. That's how Washington died. He was overbled, or at least exactly. that's the prevailing theory. Now here's, here's kind of a, here's something I do not understand, but this was definitely, I mean, this was a common thing throughout many civilizations throughout much of history. Something else Close wrote in his book as a cure for a bacterial infection. Now, mind you, a bacterial infection, they didn't know what that was a bacteria back then, but how in the heck does this next cure have any, how does it, how does it help when you have an open sore on your neck? Tell me this. A poultice made of goat dung and honey mixed together on an open neck sore. Oh. How is that even, how, how yeah. is, how is that even scientifically accurate in any way at any time? Ugh. But Ugh. if you think about it, a lot of treatments, particularly in, 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 well, in England, this is a lot, there were a lot of dung treatments. Yeah. Don't forget the chicken butt on bubonic plague sores. Hey, you use a potato on your ear for an ear infection. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> right. Of course, none of these actually worked. <laughs> People would still get infected. Even the doctors at the time even admitted that their cures didn't work, but only would say so if all of their recourse failed. They would then suggest that the patient go see the king or queen for their touch. So Klaus even wrote, when neither physic nor surgery could take place or prevail the royal, wait, sorry, there's no punctuation in this quote. When neither physic or surgery could take place or prevail, the royal touch was a most miraculous cure. When all arts and sciences do fail, her highness is the only day star, peerless and without comparison. Go see Elizabeth, she'll heal you. There was even a brief practice led by chemist and physicist Robert Boyle, who lived between 1627 and 1691, that touching the hand or the body of a recently hung convict would cure your scrofula. Uh -huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Would you mind repeating that last one for me? A chemist and physician from the 1600s believed that if you took a scrofula patient and had them touch the body of a recently hung convict, touching the dead man would cure your scrofula. Why? Would it pass the scrofula on to the dead dude? Yeah, I have no idea. What? I don't oh. know. I have no idea. Like I said, some of these just don't, I don't understand. I don't know. I have no idea where they come up with this. I don't know, but apparently he, every time, because I mean, public hangings were form of entertainment. Yeah. If there was a, I mean, so a lot of, I'll get into the numbers. A lot of people had scrofula in TB throughout much of human history, a lot. And Robert Boyle 
at during the time he was a practicing chemist and physicist, not even a physician. Uh, if he came across a patient that had scrofula and there was a criminal that was recently hung, he would take the sufferer over to the body while it still hung and have them lifted up in a particular contraction, contraption and have the sufferer touch the hand of the recently dead and say, oh, you're cured now. Mm-hmm. Quackery. And it's fine. Despair. The despair <laughs> on my face. So in terms of the royal touch, which is what we're here for. It is actually believed that the king's touch began with England's Edward the Confessor, who ruled between 1042 and 1066, died just before the Norman invasion. And it's believed to have actually started in France by King Philip I, who lived between 1052 and 1108. Now, aside from scrofula, the king's touch was also said to cure other diseases, including epilepsy. And this king's touch stuff, as we'll continue talking about, was pretty much between England and France. They really didn't have a big foothold anywhere else in Europe. So for Edward, his his healing was actually recorded by William of Malmesbury in his book, and I hate Latin sometimes, um, Geste Regum Anglorum. And he wrote that a young woman with the disease came to the king for help. Edward proceeded to wash and rub the woman's sores, which opened them up causing them to drain out and it is said that the woman was fully healed one week later william himself insisted that this is all because of edward's sanctity calling it a saint's miracle i would think if you are also washing something with clean water and soap rather than some of the putting goat dung on it yeah you might cure it a bit quicker yes but water and soap was something that was rare then that's why you went to the king yeah, good luck with that. That's exactly what just happened. Yes, but on a consistent basis, everybody who got it? I'll be getting into it. Okay. Not on a daily basis, but I'll be getting into it. So for the French, it's believed that it may have even actually started earlier than the 1040s because it was actually a practice to anoint the king at his coronation. And soon the English became... began the same practice themselves and used this anointing as a divine blessing upon the king when he was coronated coronated is that a word coronated yeah yeah you were coronated as king okay you went through a coronation the asian part the aided part i don't know that i've ever said coronated and it sounded weird i think it would be i'll double check continue with the story and i'll get back to you Okay, so over time, the procession of the touch was done typically in the the late winter and early spring because it was believed that this made the infected less infectious. It was also believed that if it was done on a holy day of the Christian calendar, the cure would be even more potent. Just to get back to you on the word coronated, it is a word. Oh, good. Okay, I wasn't being stupid. Nope, neither was I. We were both like, let's double check here. <laughs> right. So it's cert- it isn't certain as to why scrofula specifically was the disease associated with the royal touch. It may be the fact that it was linked to the fact that scrofula can go into remission, as I've stated before, seemingly making it seem like it was cured by God's chosen monarch because these were royals. And in fact, more so when 
if your scrofula relapsed, you were then seen as a person who lacked morals or even faith in the Christian church. And it was also popular for the monarchy to lay claim to being able to cure this ailment because it showed off their divine powers, which they could also then use to claim the thrones when being tried to being overthrown or taken by rivals. So it became a religious political thing for the monarchs as well. And this claim for, quote, curing also gave them leave to go over the heads of the churches by, quote, establishing a mystical communion with their suffering subjects. I am divinely blessed by God himself and chosen by God to rule. I can cure. I have the king's touch. You are cured. No need to go to the priest. So often when the king would actually hold a day for those suffering for scrofula to visit him, which many, many of them did, and I can now get into the numbers, he would touch them. And by touch them, I mean, he will touch their necks with those sores and then give them a token, a coin or a gold ring as a semblance of them being cured. And it was said to work as long as they kept it on their person at all time, like a touchstone. And if anyone was found trying to sell any one of these very expensive gifts by the king, it was alluded that the item lost all of its supernatural godly powers and the person would then relapse. It was also a long held belief that this divine power was not only given to the person who sat on the throne, but to all those who came before them because it was hereditary. So whether the ruler, the previous ruler was even alive or dead, it still didn't matter they were previously a ruler and one example of this was in the use of the blood of charles i after his execution when he was beheaded and then it was then used for those suffering from various diseases including, including scrofula hooray king's blood Blah. So one might actually think that the use of Christianity mixed with pagan beliefs of magical healing would actually make the church angry. And in many ways, the church would definitely denounce and attack those who they seemed deemed to be heretical. But when it came to the king and the king's touch, they allowed it. And in fact, there's a specifically stated ceremony that remained in the English Book of Common Prayer up until the 1700s on how to perform the king's touch. So one very popular English monarch for curing scrofula was Elizabeth I herself. Now, originally, because she's Protestant, she's very reluctant to heal by touch because she didn't buy into it. However, the Catholic Church and the Pope excommunicated her for several reasons. And then the Pope began to tell all the Catholics in the land to try to usurp her because, again, she's Protestant. So after there was actually a major publication put out by the church against Elizabeth, she and finding out that she was excommunicated, she then began to offer this touch to her subjects. It's not necessarily so much of a coercion. It's just that they, in, in their publications against her, they said she no longer has divine power because she's not giving out the touch. And she's also excommunicated. Therefore, she's also lost her divine power. So that you don't want to tell Elizabeth that she's lost her divine power to rule. <laughs> if there's much of any, and any English royalty, that's certainly one of them you don't want to anger. She's a tutor. Not only that, her fight to rule 
dear Lord, her path to get to the throne. And to keep it once she was on yeah, the throne. She's not, she, she wouldn't be giving it up that easily. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. So after all this, Elizabeth, again, began to offer the touch to her subjects, even if she didn't believe in it. And with this practice now back in session, essentially, the Pope deemed her excommunication null, quote, since God has blessed her with so great a miraculous power. And soon she would have very large clouds lining up to be, quote, blessed by the queen. The procedure written down for the monarchs to follow when administering the touch in England were, one, touch the afflicted or stroke them on the neck or face. Two, hang a gold coin around their neck. Three, read passages from the Gospel of Mark and John, which are both said to have passages to affirm that the monarch's immunity, that the monarchs had immunity from any infectious diseases. (laughs) And four, offer prayers to God for the sufferer. And actually, up until the Reformation, the monarch would also pray to the Virgin Mary and various saints, too. So this gift of gold coins was actually a practice in England that was said to begun with Henry III, who was said that when he touched the patients with scrofula, he would give everyone a penny, which at that time, that's a lot of money to be given out. By the end of Henry III's rule, by 1276 or so, it actually had become an established tradition to hand out a token of some kind to the scrofula patients that would come and ask you for their touch. By the time of Edward IV in the 1400s, monarchs had actually began the practice of giving sufferers a gold coin, again, very expensive, that was actually called an angel. And this was hung around their necks as a piece of jewelry. On one side, the coin is a ship. On the other side, it's Archangel Michael slaying a dragon. And at the time, angels themselves are actually a form of English currency, which I'd never heard of. It's pretty interesting. Eventually, however, the angel went out of distribution by 1634. So after that, instead of gold coins or gold rings, gold medallions were specifically struck in order to hand them off to the afflicted. But again, they're made of real gold, so they're definitely quite valuable. Now, for England, I'll have a section on France, don't worry. Uh, The most popular scrofular curing monarchs of all of England were not the Tudors. Are you sure? Yeah. And so that wh- who were they? The Stuarts. Duh. Duh. Well, they are descendants from the Tudors. Just kidding. <laughs> well, they are in a way, but. Well, they are if you're going from Mary Tudor and coming down from Scotland, yeah. You mean Margaret Tudor? Whichever. It was Margaret. Okay. One of Henry's sisters. It was Margaret. <laughs> okay. You read about it. I didn't. Anywho, um, during the reign of Charles I, and this makes a whole lot of sense for Charles I too, he actually saw this King's Touch ceremony as a divine blessing and his sole right as king to be able to do this. And had anyone else in the whole of the country who claimed to be able to cure scrofula investigated by the king's own lawyers. Whoops. So the investigation actually included local healers, folk healers. There was also that rumor of the seventh son of the seventh son. So if there's any seventh sons in a family that happened to be living, they were immediately investigated. And anyone else that 
were deemed blessed by local folk tradition going around. And in fact, one story actually goes that a five-year-old boy who was the seventh son of a family was deemed blessed by his grandmother when he was born. And then after he, while he was still a newborn, she took him over to an afflicted person with scrofula and you took his hand and touched the afflicted person. And it said that this person was then healed. So over time, as the boy grew older, his reputation spread. Eventually, by the urging of his father and family, the boy then began holding healing services every money. He's five, but he's making money for the family. It's not the Victorian times, but it's still kind of child labor. But yeah, he, apparently the boy was holding healing services every Monday for those afflicted. And at one point, the investigators came and found out about it. They heard, heard about it. And although many had come near and far to meet this little boy who said who, that could cure the scrofula, uh, the investigators actually found out that within the, the previous year, only 20 of them had actually been healed. So they were soon instructed the family never to claim this again. And we're pretty much just really left off with just a warning. And in fact, many of those who were actually investigated as being able to or claiming to be able to cure scrofula without royal right were really just giving warnings or punishments. And this is kind of mostly because it was seemed they were just local folk remedies and not divine power. They're just a poor folk. They know not what they're doing. <laughs> um, going back to the use of the king's blood as a cure for scrofula after the death of Charles I, I mentioned that they used his blood after he was beheaded. There was a story using the healing of scrofula by the dead king as also a way to decry his murder because there were those who were on his side and those who wanted to kill him. Thank you, Oliver Cromwell. And it was said that directly after his execution, a young woman was actually healed, not only of scrofula, but also of failing eyesight after she had dipped her handkerchief in the dead king's blood. Yeah. I don't know what she did with it, but she dipped it in there. I don't know. Mm. No. Just no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. I'm about to get into numbers. And you're going to want to pay attention to this. It's not math. So Charles II was probably the most popular monarch to lay hands on his subjects. Oh, Yeah. Charles II, bring let, it back. Let, let, let's, let's reference the, the show. I will, I will always reference horrible histories. You have to or not. My name is. Not me from my name is Charles II. <laughs> It'll stay in my head. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's kind of like you put Anastasia in my head. Now I put yeah. that song from horrible histories into your head. You're welcome, Puka. <laughs> So Charles is actually known to have practiced the King's touch while he was even in exile waiting to come back to England, even after the death of his, of his father, because it was a way for him to assert that he was the rightful heir to the throne. And after Cromwell's death and Charles was reinstated during his 25 year reign, it said that he touched and quote cured, of course, are you ready for this? These are some insane numbers. In 25 years, it said that he touched and cured over 90,000 scrofula sufferers. 
that comes out to about 4,500 people a year that he's touching. And it's contagious. But he didn't die of it. Hmm. 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 So although there were many who believed it to be divine work, there were some during the 15 and 1600s who saw this ceremony as <clears throat> unchristian. You want to take a guess as to who these people were, Lauren? The church? Um, a specific group, not the church. Uh, Roman Catholicism? Nope. Uh, Anglicanism? Nope. Puritans? Yep. Our old nemesis of fun. The Puritans. Oh, no. The king, I mean, they were also anti-royalty anyway, so, yeah. I mean, really? You think? Really anti-royalty? They're anti-royalty, anti-fun, anti-everything. Probably anti-medicine, too. It's, it's the Puritans. Of course it is. Eventually, however, with the Enlightenment, the uh, Glorious Revolution, the Bloodless Coup with William and Mary, the, uh, in England and the Reign of Terror in France, the King's Touch as a ceremony kind of fell away in, over time throughout the 1700s. It did have a brief resurgence in England during the Reign of Queen Anne, who very much believed in its power. But after she passed away, it was completely discontinued during the beginning of the Hanoverians with King George I. He completely stopped it. So in France, the practice actually began in the late Middle Ages as the King's Touch specifically, because it had a specific procession that it followed as well too. So it was, again, divinely anointed. So first, the king's hands would be anointed at his coronation, giving him the power to cure. Now, at the queen's coronation, she would also be anointed, but the queens never had this power because when they were anointed, they were anointed on their chest, their face, and their head, but never their hands because they were not the ruling ruler or the ruling monarch. It was only the king that would be allowed to have God's anointing on their hands. Mm -hmm. so two after the coronation the king at at remy the king would immediately travel to corn which is the site of saint markov who died in 558 so a while ago and saint markov was actually the patron saint of the scrofulous i didn't even know they had a patron saint i wouldn't have guessed that they did so There's not many patron saints for almost everything i think it's kind of like the roman gods for everything the roman gods the greek pantheon the egyptian pantheon about everything there was, there was a roman god for cabinets not surprised i mean there there's probably a patron saint for almost everything you can think of so after the pilgrimage, the king was then deemed to possess the power to heal the afflicted. So he, he was coronated, anointed, went over to pay homage at the site of St. Markov, and then he was able to heal. And much like in England with Charles I, the French also believed that in death, the king could still heal people from this. And in fact, this one's crazy. The arm of King Louis IX, also known as St. Louis IX, which was preserved at Poblet Monastery in Catalonia in Spain, was actually part of a pilgrimage for the Scrofulous. They would go visit this arm of the dead Saint King and touch it. 
And when Henry IV of France took the throne and converted to Catholicism, he was deemed not only the healer of those with the disease, but also the healer of all France. And that kind of made a lot of sense. So on Easter, okay, I'm gonna get some, some, some really insane numbers. You think that Charles II had insane numbers? The French, I think, had even crazier numbers. You ready for these? These stats are literally off the wall. Okay. So for Henry IV of France, on Easter day of 1608, just this one day, it said that Henry touched over 1,200 people. Over 1,200 or 12,000? 1,250 people with scrofula he touched in one day. So it's 1,250 while Charles did 4,500 in a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh, I'm not even done, but yeah, that's a lot. That's just one day. Yeah. That's just one day on Easter day, of course, because it was believed that if you did it on a holy Christian day, it was even more potent. Of course. Of course it was. Yes. And it was actually spread by royal physicians that at least half of those who were touched that day were healed in just a matter of days, but like within a week. Mm -hmm. And later ruler, none other than Louis XIV himself had even more staggering numbers. Would you like to hear those? All right. Easter of 1680, Louis XIV is said to have touched 1,600 people in one day. I mean, the Sun King has to outnumber everybody else. He, oh no, but he didn't though. Oh, oh really? Who outnumbered Louis XIV? Another Louis? Oh God, which one? I'll get into it in a minute. During the reign of Louis XIV, which I, I would love to do an episode on Voltaire. <laughs> I love, oh my God, I, Voltaire's sass and sarcasm. Oh, I just want to talk about Versailles. Well, we could do an episode on Versailles, but I just want to talk about Voltaire. We'll do one episode on Voltaire and one on Versailles. Oh. Just make it a whole month of France. So during the, so this whole 1600 people on Easter day alone by Louis the 14th, right? So one point Voltaire even wrote in one of his publications that he had lost confidence in the King's ability to heal after he heard about the death of one of the King's mistresses, quote, despite being touched very well by the King. Uh, <laughs> I love Voltaire. Uh -huh. Love Voltaire. <laughs> of course. <laughs> He's such a sass. And during the reign of Louis the 15th, the practice actually began to die out, mostly because he didn't want to touch anybody. So to, also to give an idea, over time, so when people, when these monarchs began touching these scrofulous subjects, they would literally touch the infection and touch the, the, the sores on their necks, which is just, you know, right. But you're the king, so you've got to you've got to, to try to cure these people and touch them. But eventually, some of the kings and and Elizabeth uh, were certainly quite grossed out by these open sores and wounds on people's faces and necks. That over time, instead of physically touching them, they would touch the air above it, as in like you are blessed. And then usually making the sign of the cross over it too. 
So when Louis the Fifteenth came along, he 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 didn't he he didn't do it because he, it's not so much he didn't believe in it. He just didn't want to touch people. So and I wouldn't want to touch that either. I yeah, not. I mean, his dad touched sixteen hundred people on one day alone. I I know I wouldn't want to do that. You grew up doing this? No, 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 no. Actually, in fact, up until Louis the Fifteenth and his reign, the king always exclaimed after after he gave you prayers after he touched you gave you the memento gave you prayers read from the gospels saying the king is immune from all infectious diseases i am able to touch you he then would finish and say the king touches you and you are healed after the reign of louis the 15th because he didn't want to touch anybody so after 1722 the king would then say the king touches you may god heal you big difference so the last french monarch to have laid hands on the diseased was the last louis the 16th right was louis the 16th the last louis they did reinstate the kings for a bit no he wasn't he wasn't the last louis he wasn't the last louis but he was the one for the french he was the last bourbon yeah yeah and french revolution right right Oh yeah, it's Louis the 16th. So on the day of Louis the 16th coronation, do you want to know how many people it said he touched? This is staggering. Go for it. More than any other English or French monarch I could find stats for. On the day of his coronation, it said that Louis the 16th gave the king's touch to 2,400 people. Imagine the line. I I can just see it out, like outside of Notre Dame, just like across the bridge. I'm just imagining, but that gives you an idea of how contagious this disease was. It's, I mean, it's technically, it's a form of TB. Well, and the form of TB, the same way that, Chronic fatigue syndrome and mono are very similar because they're by the same uh, virus, you know, except scrofula doesn't typically affect your lungs. But this goes to show you how many people came for the king's touch. Now, maybe not all of them, however, were actually afflicted with scrofula. The king is handing out a penny in the 10 hundreds when a penny was a lot of money or they're handing out a gold coin or gold ring some people might just line up just to get the memento and try and sell it which is certainly is what some people would do but i save the best for last are you ready for this one this one i saved specifically for you so one of the most famous people to have ever received the king's touch was one of your favorite people in history. I'll give you a hint. Okay. This person was born in the early 1700s. No, you're just gonna have to give it to me. I give you another hint. It will give it away completely. I'm already like stumped, so. You ready? Okay. It's also food you don't eat, but I guess if you found it non-pork, you could probably eat it. Sausage? Sausage? Sausage! 
Blackadder, I'm sorry. We're referencing Blackadder, which is awesome. If you've never seen Blackadder, go check it out because it's fantastic. But who am I referencing, Lauren? What's his name? Just tell me, I'm blanking. He wrote the dictionary. I know he did. That doesn't mean I remember the name all the time. Samuel Johnson, one of your favorite people. No, I didn't say he was my favorite people. I said that was my favorite episode. Oh, I thought you just also liked Samuel Johnson. I mean, I like Samuel Johnson, but I don't love Samuel Johnson. Definitely one of my favorite episodes, Black Adder. I mean, oh, sure. Bomb sausage. <laughs> You'll see he also left armadillo out of the dictionary. Baldrick, did you get the word C? I did. The big blue wet thing. It's big. Stop. We're, we're just, just going to be quoting Black Adder from here on out. Stop. Works for me. I'm just going to start saying my apologies and we'll be okay. <laughs> Are you good? No, she's dying. All right. You good? <laughs> Continue. I think so. <laughs> okay. All right. So yes, yeah, Samuel Johnson, the original dictionary writer himself, was taken uh, at the age of two on March 30th, 1712 at St. James's Place to be healed by Queen Anne herself. And afterwards, it said that he was given a ribbon as a memento of the event, to which Johnson said later that he wrote, he wore that ribbon every day for the rest of his life. So we're not actually certain if he actually had scrofula. It may have just been a sore throat, but given the contagiousness of many of the diseases at the time, on the caution that it might be more than that, his mother took him to see the queen, thinking that the queen would heal him. Now, in fact, many people who developed sore throats or just general ailments would immediately flock to see the monarch just also, in case you never know what you're going to catch. Now, unfortunately for Johnson, he had contracted something, though it, again, it's not certain that it was specifically scrofula. Now, as a child, he actually suffered from very various ailments and even had to have an operation that ended up leaving him with scarring across his face and body, which at least for scrofula victims, if you have these open sores and wounds, you certainly would have hits and pock marks on your face for sure like a small park or something uh eventually johnson would have failing eyesight and also think at one point that he was going insane but that's the tale for another day and that is all i have for the king's touch in scrofula is there anything you want to add no because i know nothing about it actually I'm not surprised about it being needing the king's touch because let's think about it. Kings thought they were descended from God, chosen by God. Well, Every it, single one of them. Right. That's why it became more of a religious political <clears throat> event rather than specifically medical. So again, not surprised. And of course, not surprised about any of the really horrible forms of healing things like using what was it goat or sheep's dung it, it, goat but it really doesn't matter honey the honey makes sense it's an antibiotic it's also or, a disinfectant. Or an anti anti microbial yeah disinfectant Sorry. microbial <laughs> yeah but why would you put something on you that an animal poops out 
there are so many instances in history where they use Putin. I know. I know. I just don't get it, though. Maybe we should do an episode on it. Let Maybe us know. we should. Do you want to hear, hear an episode of us talking about crazy, wacky medical cures involving poop? Let us know. <laughs> we can put that as a puck, as a poll. Speaking of, uh, of, of, of suggestions, do you want to give our listeners a list of where they can find us? No, not really. No, I'm kidding. So you can find us at our Instagram page, which is history explains it all underscore podcast. You can also find us at our, our Facebook. Yes. Our Instagram again. Let me give you that a second time at our Facebook page. History explains it all. Or you can reach us via email. If you have any suggestions, comments, anything like that at history explains all at gmail.com. If you do listen on iTunes, please give us a rate and or a review. It's how people can find us. It helps people find us. And if you listen on Spotify, uh, check out all the side notes. Mm-hmm. We, um, we can chat with each other through Spotify now. And so if you check our episode notes, we may have episode specific polls or questions that we can mm-hmm. interact with. So you can hit us up on there if you check us out on Spotify. Yes, don't forget we also put up polls on our Instagram page. Yay! We also put up... Oh, Archaeology in the News and a Today in History segment. Those go up twice a week. Yay! Because we're history nerds. That's an understatement. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> four, of, four of the books I have out right now are just history. Now, remember, all of my stuff is packed. I left four books out. All of them are history. Well, I guess on that note, we'll uh, sign off for today and we'll see everybody next Thursday. Yes. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history. To explain it all. Explain it all. (laughs) Bye. Bye. I'm just so happy to be back.